Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Vertical Street Ventures, where we talk to top experts and seasoned investors to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. My name is Peter Pomeroy, and I am your host. Today, we have Litton Yahav with us. Litton is a former officer in the Israeli Navy who, together with his co-founder, Tomer Salvi, established a successfully sold Sagoma, a revolutionary diamond display technology that disrupted the global diamond industry. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that. Following their exit, both became passive real estate and private equity investors with complex and diverse investment portfolios. With no existing technological solution to manage, track, and monitor their wealth, a full range of investment assets, they decided to build a startup for planning and controlling their wealth and the wealth of others like them. And so Visor was born. Is it Latan or Litton? Latan, Litan. Uh, we'll we'll get it straight going forward. But nonetheless, welcome to the show. Exciting to have you on here. Thank you, Peter. I'm super excited to be here. It's always weird to hear yourself being presented like live, just sitting back and hearing your bio right out. So I <laughs> appreciate that. And it never probably sounds quite perfectly right. Or Let's get into this because we've got a fair amount to cover. Tell us about your story, pre your first business and kind of where you are today and you know what kind of some of the milestones were or realizations that got you to where you are. Yeah. So I'll do a quick rundown, just like get, put things into context. So personal background, I'm 40 years old, married three kids, was born in the States, moved to Israel when I was about nine years old, served in the Israeli Navy for six years, and then went to school, which is pretty like mandatory in Israel. And then during school, I started law and business, but then founded my last startup back in 2012 as part of this entrepreneurship program at school. That's where I met Tomer. We founded our last company together as well. I think co-founders is probably the most important business partners in general is the most important part, I think, of founding any business. But that's a whole different topic to talk about. But anyway, so during back in the day, about in 2011, we were looking for a business to build as part of this entrepreneurship program. And we saw a lot of inefficiencies in many different industries and somehow stumbled upon the diamond industry, which I don't know how familiar with are with this industry, but it's it's insane how that industry operate or operated back then, still does a little today. The highest technology when it comes to security and, and that type of stuff, but when it comes to the trade itself of diamonds around the world back then, it was really old school. For us, it just sounded like really crazy that you have to fly around the world with diamonds or ship them for someone to see them or inspect them when you can buy a Porsche on eBay today and present it in 3D, right? Why can't you do the same thing with diamonds? And because we had no idea of the diamond industry and because we're not core technological people or business operation guys, Tomer is... is special forces as well like both of us 60 years in the military like we don't have any technological background and we say yeah everything's everything's possible yeah why why can't i take a diamond photograph it in 3d and have someone trade it online without physically shipping it around the world and with that naivety sort of like we just went forward with that and raised money and founded a business and built basically a microwave machine that you put a diamond in photograph many different angles we had a third co-founder as well who we brought in as our technological co-founder and an amazing team and great partners. And, and we scaled the business to the level where it became the standard for diamond imagery around the world. Pretty fairly big operation and all the diamond exchanges. And in 2015, we were sort of, we were acquired by a US company called jamesallen.com or R2Net is how they operate. And 
there were a very large e-commerce website for selling diamond engagement rings. And there was a lot of synergy there. And so that acquisition happened in 2015. We stayed on for a few more years to operate the business, scaled it up to 250 employees, five offices around the world, basically photographing every diamond in the world. And did that, stayed on for a few more years. Sort of when you exit a startup, many times you have to stay on, help transition it, continue to build it. And you have this lock-in period. And so we had a great time. We had really great partners and the company that acquired us. We had a really good relationship. But at some point, it was like, all right, let's move on. So that happened in 2018. And just to put things into context, we didn't make tens of millions of dollars in this exit, but we made enough money, you know, take a minute, decide what we want to do, and, and started to allocate our money on our own. And you can imagine at that point, there was some like PR around the exit and a bunch of wealth managers and financial advisors reaching out to us and multifamily offices and say, hey, why don't we take your money? We'll manage it for you and blah, blah, blah. And for us, that didn't sort of work. And we decided to just do it on our own. And the cool thing about in Israel is that every second person basically does pass the real estate investing. Like you always joke about it that I mean, you'll talk to someone on the, on the street and they probably invested 50,000 euros into a, an apartment in Berlin or $50,000 into a multifamily complex in Florida through a guy they know. Word of mouth. It's totally word of mouth, totally like, but you always know someone like either a good friend of yours or a good friend, a good friend of yours does this type of, they syndicate deals or, or they sponsor deals for other operators or stuff like that. And so we started to allocate money at the beginning, actually into two single family homes, which were a nightmare. And then we transitioned into LP investing into private, real estate, private equity, all just through friends or friends of friends. Slowly, slowly, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, just into multiple deals where we learned a lot of things during the process of things we should have asked, strategies we like more, of operators we prefer, and, and just even the terminology in that whole, in the whole industry, which I'm sure like, you guys know a lot better than we do, or at least we learned it the hard way. And just a lot of things that you see that people don't know to ask. Like one of the things that we only sort of like understood, like, I think like a year ago, is that the operator, syndicator, and sponsor are not the same thing. And these are synonyms that people re like interchange and not knowing what they really mean. Yeah, but they have like just all this overlap. And so it's almost as though you have to have it defined each time it's said. That's kind of spot on. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many people. I'm not sort of disrespecting everyone like people's professions, but they're people that at the end of the day are the fundraisers. They have nothing to do with the deal, right? But some people consider them the operator, the sponsor, the syndicator. Like, well, just like getting that clear of what the terminology is and, and a lot of other stuff that we wanted to. It took us time. Anyway, so we started to sort of deploy cash into these real estate syndications in the US and Europe with operators that we knew from friends or friends of friends. We've probably done about 30 deals over the past seven years since we started investing in these deals in Europe and the US. Multifamily storage, ground up development, flips, a bunch of different types of stuff. And also you hear about all these like other stuff like you know ATM machines and car washes and, and mobile home parts, endless, right? And so that's sort of like a quick rundown of where we started and where we're at at the moment. Anyway, but just like to close the story. So one thing they, they don't tell you when, like they say diversification is good and, and important to sort of like reduce risk, but at the end of the day, it creates a headache, right? Because then you have multiple investments with multiple operators and different bank accounts and cash coming in, cash going out. Our spreadsheets became insane. And just like tracking, you know, how much money I invested, when I invested, like you get a, a quarterly distribution from this operator. And I don't even remember when I invested, how much and what to expect. So that became a mess. And so we built ourselves a piece of software to automate a lot of that processes. And while doing so, a bunch of friends and family wanted as well. And we said, well, there might be a whole business here. And we found that there are millions of people like us. And that's that's sort of what led us to build what we're building now, which is Visor. So that's a quick rundown. That's terrific. Thank you for that. So 
When we think about who your customer is, advisor, excuse me, is it the LP? Is it the sponsor? Is it both? And tell us about you know, kind of like who they are, you know, as a as a you know segment. Yeah, we're super focused on people like us. So like only the LP investors. There are many GPs that also do LP investments, right? So there are customers, right, indirectly. But but yeah, it's, we're focused on the LPs just because it's, I think for us, it's really important to focus on who we're targeting and what the value we're bringing. The other side of the equation are other companies like the more funded administrators, the Juniper Squares, Syndication Pros, and those guys, which do a great job of giving value only to the LP or mainly to the LPs. And as a byproduct of the GPs, they're doing it top down, we're doing it bottom up. And we can get into why we're doing it that way. But that's sort of our target, our target customer are the LPs specifically. Okay. So why, like, just you just kind of set it up, like, why are you doing it that way? What are you after with the LPs, the value you're providing them? So we have two main aspects of what we're building. One of them is to create visibility of like what you had in the past, what you currently have and what you'll have in the future. Not just from a real estate syndication perspective, everything like holistically, but- And just to pause on that, because we'll probably end up like talking like mostly in in the context of real estate. You mentioned a bunch of different alternative, you know, asset classes, but to ask the question, does your platform, can you do ATMs and can you do Bitcoin and can you do, you know, all the, you know, self-storage and ground up development and all of the different kind of product types that might be out there? Yeah, so we don't, just to clarify, we do not touch money, right? We just give that visibility on top of it. But you can add any type of asset class into the platform through multiple ways. So like one of the things we feel that we'd we'd love is if if I had a family office, I'd want to throw everything at them and they'll manage it for me, right? So it doesn't matter what the investment is. I'll just throw it into Visor and Visor will sort it out and make sure it's tracked. Right, okay. So what happens? You log on, you're an LP, is it for an LP that has, you know, at least three different kind of positions or what customer are you looking for with respect to positions? So, I mean, it's a great question. I think it's like one of those things that if your positions are complex enough or too complex, then you need something or you need a, a solution to track it all. So probably if you have one or two syndicate like of these passive income or cash flow assets, one or two, it's not that hard to track it, right? A spreadsheet is fine and it happens once a quarter or once a year or once a month, it doesn't matter, it's not the end of the world. I think once you hit the five to 10 mark, that's when it becomes more complex that you don't remember what you invested, how much, like when you did it. Like we'll get an email from an operator saying, hey, this is the distribution this quarter. And I'll be like, all right, first of all, I don't remember how much I was supposed to receive and also, I want to know when it appears in my bank account. And that's like when it counts. And then when it appears in my bank account, I don't even remember what it's related to. So anyway, there's like a lot of mess involved when you reach that level, I think. Right. And I, I mean, I guess I would think that it kind of depends on how much complexity or kind of management an LP wants to take on. Because I I mean, truthfully, I can imagine having one in there. And we'll get to pricing a little bit later. But, you know, just it's clean. It's all in one spot. You know, I know where the file is in the folder. It's kind of like you just log in and there it is. So I could see it, they're being benefited at just one, but certainly you get a couple few, you know, investments, positions, you're going to want to track that in a nice clean way. So I know that like community is a big part of the platform. Can you talk to us about how that works? Right. So if I take Israel as an example, like Israel, the everyone, like I said, invests in, in real estate. And so it's really easy to find people to that you that invest like you. But in the States, what we found is it's very different. Like people go, they listen to a lot of podcasts, they go and they join these mastermind groups, they go to events just to hear what people like them are doing and get more input from operators of how they raise money and the deals they have on the table. 
And so the community aspect is trying to create this from a ground up approach. So if I'm invested in deals with X, Y, and Z operators, and there are thousands of people like me and Visor that are invested in different operators, but there's overlap, then we can start to communicate between each other based on where we're invested. Like it's totally anonymous, but based on actual investments and people can opt out of this. But the idea is to create this sort of community within the platform that's transparent and based on actual investments. You as the person inputting information or maybe making some comments, you can be anonymous if you choose, but the investment will be like 123 Main Street. So that'll be public. I'm not even going out. I mean, we might get to down to that sort of like resolution. I'm just saying, even knowing like, how many people have invested with this operator? And can I communicate with them directly without having to ask the operator to connect me? Like I've spoken with endless operators over the years and and they'll connect me with references that have invested with them, but I don't even know if they connect me with people that were in bad deals, probably only in good deals. I want to speak with everyone. And so even without even talking about performance or talking about location, it doesn't really matter. Just like- It's almost like a clearinghouse. Yeah, in a sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then I would think maybe that this would be of like potential value to strong sponsors in that, you know, you hear over and over again this idea of no like and trust. You know, if you're a solid sponsor and people, you know, kind of sing your praises a little bit and, you know, some constructive feedback as well, that that, you know, could in fact be, I would think, very helpful. It depends, right? Because there are about 50,000 like operators in the US, right? That do these very real estate private equity stuff. And, and there are operators that would, pr- that, would not want their LPs to put their deals on Visor because they don't want people to know. Because And there are other GPs that we've spoken with that are like, I want all my LPs to use Visor because I believe that what I'm doing is good and I want it to be transparent. And this is a great platform for me to do that. So it really depends on, think on the operator. Right. That makes sense. And then in terms of like the return metrics that you had, you know, track for, you know, like say real estate investments, just kind of like the standard ones. I mean, it, it doesn't need to actually get that complex. In my view, like just the cash on cash maybe IRR when you're done, equity multiplier, you know, the standard uh, metrics? Is that the thought or something different? Totally. I mean, we might add, you know, not just IRR, but XIRR because it has some more like comparable aspect to it. I think that when you look at your investments overall, in order to compare apples to apples, there has to be a common denominator. And that sort of common attribute or a performance metric at the end of the day is IRR. Nothing else really matters. So but we have all the other metrics as well, like cash on cash, multiply, moic, and all that type of stuff. How would you deal with like the assumptions that you put on a property, like let's say exit cap rate? Like in terms of the the mod, the actual modeling, would you just have analysts that like that's what they do, or how does that how does that work? Is that a technology solution? I mean, there are multiple technological solutions within the platform. That's not one of them because when I invest in a deal. There are assumptions that the GP will sort of articulate from a return perspective, from even from a duration perspective. And I want to be able to track that in the platform. And, and so if I expect to receive, let's just say, I don't know, 17% IRR or 7% annual cash on cash return, it's pretty easy to track that, right? Because if you're linking, you can also connect your bank accounts and then we'll identify transactions in your bank accounts, link them to a specific investment. So we automatically track the performance of that cash coming in, right? And so that helps like objectively. Understand the performance of an investment. I got you. So it's more on like what's been promised, what's been budgeted, and how it's tracking against that. That makes sense. I, I got that. And then how about in terms of like pricing? Well, before the pricing question, where are you now in the development of Visor? And when I think about it, like I'm trying to, you know, kind of restrain myself. There's so much application. And so I'm just wondering kind of where you are now in terms of like overall functionality at a high level, where you might be like in in a year and how you kind of align pricing with that 
not just from the perspective of, oh, a consumer who might be interested in purchasing, but also like that's kind of that seems like a complex task in itself. Yeah, 100%. Well, first of all, just a little background. We founded the company about a year and a half ago, raised to date a little more than $6 million from amazing investors. And our first job was first to ensure security and privacy in the platform. That's like our top priority. And then after we set that in, and we still pay hackers to try and hack us so we can know where where the flaws are and where we're still open. We're not, but just it's really important for us. Like We really care about our security because our information is in. We want to sleep well at night knowing that our members' information is also secure. So that's sort of like the back background of that. And we launched a closed beta advisor about six, seven months ago. To a closed community of, of LP investors in the US, some community managers, some like of these like investor community managers, just a bunch of like amazing people that have helped us perfect the value proposition, perfect the product. And we turned that up open to public beta about a month and a half ago. Started onboard more people. And in a month, we're going live with the platform. And then we're going to start charging for it as well. So that's sort of like the way the process has been until now. And so I would imagine the pricing is a little bit in flux till actual launch. I mean, it's got to be like... Yeah, so we could talk about the pricing is pretty straightforward. So one of the things we hate is when I pay someone for a service, they have an incentive to sell me stuff or to offer me stuff or to... Like there's one of the things that, and again, I'm sure the people that love this, but like the AUM-based fee that wealth managers charge for me, there is a conflict of interest there because they're incentivized to want to manage all my money. And if I want to take money and invest in a startup or invest in a syndication, they're like, no, that's not a good decision for you. I mean... Why don't you put it in the CTF or this read or whatever? I don't right. want that. So something that they're able to control and get fee right. off of, right? So for us, it's super simple, super transparent. It's an annual or monthly membership fee that's flat. So paid annually, it's seventy nine dollars a month, and paid monthly, it's ninety nine dollars a month, and that's fixed, like nothing on top of that or anything. And and because like we've had about a bunch of bet, like people helping us out, better users that have been playing around with it. Anyone who signs up until we go live. We'll have 25% off on their first year. So that's sort of like pretty straightforward price model and, and it'll it'll stay that way. Yeah, that's terrific. And just to be clear, you go to V is in Victor, Y Z E R dot com. Oh no, dot co, dot co. My bad. Quick rebound there. You've raised six million dollars. Um, you're about a year and a half into it. So talk to us a little bit about like just kind of starting to step back for a moment. Some of the you know biggest challenges of getting your business off the ground or you know to where it is now from like you know concept we've got this great idea we think there's a market for it we've talked to some people to like now you've raised six million dollars you're i saw on your website you're hiring you're about to launch live what were the milestones or what that like so first of all i mean i think as like any operating business it's a roller coaster right i mean there are like the and the ups and downs in the startup world are like on an hourly basis um so it's hectic, but obviously, like we're passionate about this, we feel are on our own, like our own skin, and, and so we love what we're building. We have amazing partners and investors. I mean, and the challenges are very, I'd say, stage specific. When we hit the ground, when we sort of from the get go was like, all right, raising funding and getting your first sort of team members on board, understanding like the the product, and then at that point, I think, I mean, our biggest like our biggest challenge, I'd say, and this is very specific to you know to a software startup focusing on what matters in our product. Like we can take this so many other ways. At the moment we have about 500 beta users and and they're all like each of them have their own like needs, wants and it's like just understanding right, what will bring the most value and can be the fastest to execute to bring that value. So that's from a product perspective one of our biggest challenges is is prioritizing like features and and stuff like that. And then obviously there's the whole, you know, 
fundraising aspect to it. And especially like in these times, it's like this year, it's more challenging than last year. I mean, everyone probably has heard like, I'm trying to say without a swear word, but it's like the, the stuff that's happening in the public markets has directly affected the private markets as well. We're really early stage and an early stage startup is it has enough sort of like spread until we reach like IPO. So it's not as difficult, but it's still difficult. I mean, it's it's higher risk. Obviously, valuations have been affected in our world because risk is higher. Thank you. All right. So this kind of relates to our final two questions here. I mean, you talked about how there's a need to focus on your product, kind of the product evolution and be really thoughtful about that kind of at a much kind of higher level. You know, you like solving problems and creating efficiencies. I know you're focused on Visor, but are there other industries or even like kind of processes within an industry that you think would at some point really benefit from like expertise like yours and your partners, where you could create efficiencies, just kind of blue sky? Right. So I think there are so many inefficiencies in the world that if you come with a fresh pair of eyes that you're not like my previous company is the freaking diamond industry and i don't come from the diamond industry and and what helped us sort of evolve that industry was the fact that we were outsiders and we didn't have any inhibitions to innovate we didn't come from like the financial industry and or the real estate industry like i'm not a real estate professional i don't see myself as one i believe there are people that i can trust and if i find those people which is very inefficient to find the people you can trust we can create value and so Let's build that. So I think like when you come with those zero boundaries from outside an industry that you can learn and bring innovation to, that's sort of like key. I think like for me, when I speak with like early stage founders and business sort of operators, I think the biggest issue is the beginning, finding the people to build it with and identifying those people and making sure you have like a solid ground to build the business bottom up. The because team. most business, yes, because most businesses I've seen fail because of the team, right? Because of the partners, because of first team members. So that's like the most important aspect of it, I think of it. Last question, going back in time to your service in the Navy, in a couple sentences, what did serving in the Navy teach you? And then what does it mean to you now, your service? I think serving in general puts you in a situation where you have to take care of everyone else except for yourself. That's like a sense of responsibility that I think it's not just like military service, it's any service you do that you're in charge of other people, not just managing them, even like next side by side to them. And you have to make sure that they're good. They're fine. So that's like a really, I think an important aspect. And second is like make a lot with little. We're small, especially in Israel, a small country with a small military and budget is sort of like always, always to the limit. And so you have to find ways to make do with little. And so I think improvising and, and that aspect is also pretty helpful for my military service. Thank you. Uh, Latan, thank you for coming on the show. If listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Either email latanadvisor.co, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive on all those mediums. And that info will also be in the show notes. Uh, and for those listeners that want to connect with me or be on the show, please feel free to reach out. Shoot me an email at uh, peter at northlightgrowth.com or on LinkedIn, Peter Pomeroy. Thank you all for listening, and I wish you a great week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Subscribe too, so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to verticalstreetventures.com. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with our team on the website. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.